We just had sales reps at the time text this number whenever they needed to make a CRM update. And, and then they would securely share their Salesforce credentials. We would have somebody from Troops log into their Salesforce and make the update for them behind the scenes. Obviously, there are some security implications. So this, this wasn't something we could scale, but it's something that we could roll out in a matter of days, get a bunch of customers on board and prove, is this something that people want? Does this save time? And is this something viable that we should build and automate in the future? I'm Greg Ratner, co-founder and CTO of Troops.ai. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lampart, and today how Greg Ratner built the system to accelerate revenue operations by making data actionable. All this and more on Code Story. Greg Ratner comes from a family of artists, so he always envisioned himself going into art. From an early age, he was drawing and creating comics, funny enough centered around his favorite animal, pigs. And back then, he was also a budding entrepreneur. In fact, in grade school, he would Xerox his comics and sell them at school for a buck apiece. In high school, he got into animation and game development, which was the catalyst for his interest in programming. He started out by doing animation by hand, drawing each cell and each frame by itself, which was super tedious. The tools he switched to were a director and flash, allowing him to create stop animation and eventually layer programming into the mix as well. Outside of tech, he's a purple belt in jujitsu. He also enjoys cycling and cooking, which both were handy hobbies during the pandemic. After feeling the pain of having to log into a myriad of tools day to day to get their jobs done, Greg and his co-founders decided to build a connected application to drive revenue communications. This is the creation story of Troops.ai. Troops has really started based on a premise that consumer software has been getting really, really cool and user-friendly and awesome over the past decade. And at the same time, we use those intuitive apps on our phones and then we get into work and we have to use software to do our jobs every day that's uh, that's definitely stuck in a, in a couple of decades behind. Enterprise software, especially in, in industries outside of technology and, and engineering, oftentimes has been developed a long time ago. It's complicated, it's hard to set up. And then ultimately, in many of the cases, it's designed to bring transparency or visibility to, to your boss or to your boss's boss. And for you as a person doing your job every day, this is just another administrative task you have to do. So my, my partners and I saw this trend and decided that in 21st century, we can do much better than that. And we're able to build software that's gonna connect to the existing systems and allow everyday people to build workflow without any coding and automate many of the common tasks that they have to do day to day without having to bring in an engineering team or take a long training course. 
So the real idea behind Troops is we connect to many of the systems that customer facing teams use. And those are the systems like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zendesk, and many, many others. And we detect when a data change happens and we're able to notify the person who needs to know about this data change instantly and tell them what next steps they should take next. So for example, if you're a sales rep and you just had a first meeting with Coca-Cola, we can send you a message in Slack or Microsoft Teams, a place where you're already communicating with your coworkers and let you know, hey, first meeting just happened. Please record top three things that are important to note after this meeting. It might be the close date, it might be the budget, it might be the next steps. Very quickly on mobile or on desktop, the person doing the work can quickly update their CRM without having to log into a heavy system, search through a bunch of records, scroll through a bunch of fields, and then having to fill in uh, a bunch of data that's available in, in other systems or not required for this particular step. The companies that we work with apply this to hundreds of different things, which saves them tens of hours every single week. Let's dive into the MVP. Tell me about that first product you build, how long it took you to build, and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. Yeah, so the concept of MVP is incredibly important at Troops, and we take it very, very seriously. And we always examine uh, the value that we're trying to deliver, the nugget of value that we're trying to bring to a customer. And when we do that, we often ask ourselves, how can we deliver this value in the, in the fastest possible way, even though the experience may not be, we may not be ideal on the first try. And so for our very first MVP, we wanted to bring this concept of intelligent assistant that reminds you to do something uh, to people on mobile. And when we started off, we didn't know that platforms like Slack and Teams are gonna be important in, in what we're building. We just knew that events happen in, in customer systems. People need to know about those events. They need to take action without having to do much work. So our first MVP actually required no code whatsoever. We connected a Twilio API, so just a, a number you can text, to Front App, which is a, an application that allows one person to manage multiple conversations with, with different people. And we just had uh, sales reps at the time text this number whenever they needed to make a CRM update. So, a sales executive would text us and say, hey, I just had a meeting with a client. You know, the company name is Coke. Their budget is 10K. And the next step is to follow up with the VP of sales at the end of June. And we would get this information over a text message. And, and then they would securely share their Salesforce credentials. We would have somebody from Troops log into their Salesforce and make that update for them behind the scenes. Obviously, there are some security implications as we started working with larger and larger companies. So this, this wasn't something we could scale, but it's something that we could roll out in a matter of days, uh, get a bunch of customers on board and prove, is this something that people want? Does this save time? And is this something viable that we should build and automate in the future? Sounds like the perfect size MVP then. So 
I mean, with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs. And you you touched a little bit in your explanation. But I want to dive in a little more about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them. When we were bringing this product to, to market, we knew that we were very, very early. And the concept of, of having assistance being injected into your workflow and helping you do some sort of task faster and better was very new. And, and people uh, still didn't know what they thought of it, how useful it's going to be, and how are they going to inject it into their everyday workflow. So one thing that we had to get very comfortable with upfront is this notion that nothing is precious. Anything that we build is an experiment. It's designed to prove a point or prove that we are delivering some sort of value to the customer or um, on the contrary, it is something that customers don't want and we shouldn't invest more time in this. So because of that, and because we we were creating this new category that that people didn't know about, we had to get uh, comfortable very, very quickly to constantly burn products to the ground and start over. We would start with a small experiment, we would ship it to customers, Uh, it might have technical debt, it might be rough around the edges, and very quickly get their feedback and understand, do we want to continue doubling down on this? Or was this a failed experiment and we should scrap it and move on? This kind of notion made a huge impact on on how we made future hires on our workflow. Uh, People who are very precious with the products that they build ended up not doing well at Troops because of that. So this, this became a pillar very early on and until the market and the product really matured, this is something that we really made sure it was deeply ingrained into the troops culture. You know, you, you ran through lots of experiments, you moved quickly and you scrapped what didn't work. From there, you get a working product. How did you progress the product and mature it? And then I'm interested also in like how you built your roadmap and decided this is the next most important thing to build. Yeah, in terms of product maturity, it was a very much iter- an iterative process. Very early on, we decided that in order for us to continue experiment and and get good data points on our experimentation, we have to move to continuous development to production. At this point, this was six years ago when many of the companies were still adverse to to deploy into production this quickly. So we were on kind of the early end of the early adapter curve for for shipping a product this quickly to our users. Shipping this quickly really allowed us to experiment very, very fast and allowed us to see, hey, is this an investment that we want to make in a long term or is this a nice to have and we should move on to to more critical priorities? So some of our roadmap really resulted from the fact that we shipped some features to production. We were able to get real customer feedback from everyday usage. We were able to understand what nuggets of value do those features deliver. And more importantly, what are the types of features that customers would actually pay for? Once we had good signal on that, it really built into our roadmap building where we could say, hey, we launched five products last quarter. Out of them, 
you know, Ford did not perform very well or performed in various degrees of uninteresting. But there is one that really picked up and swept the market and, and customers wrote into our chat and our email and asked us to add more features or um, they asked how can they take advantage of, of this feature in a better way or to give it to more people on our team. And this kind of signal is, is incredibly important to, to building your roadmap because it really defines priorities for the kinds of things that are gonna help you grow and, and bring revenue. Negative feedback or positive feedback, just excitement around a feature, even if it's, hey, this, this is only 10% of what I need, I need the other 90, is an incredible signal to say, okay, we have real users, they have a real use case, and they're really motivated to, to get on board for this ride and give us feedback because it's, it's something that will deliver value for them. Well, then let's switch to team. So you mentioned team a bit earlier, but I want to dive into it a little bit more. How did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Yeah, early on, we definitely went through a lot of soul searching to figure out what is the best fit for an early team for a product that is highly technical and creating a brand new category in the space. And we had lots of learnings. That means that we made a lot of mistakes and, and also eventually made some really good decisions. In terms of the early team, and, and this is something that I'm incredibly proud of in terms of engineering culture that we were able to build and the kind of talent we were able to attract, it really resulted in it resulted from the fact that we decided very early on as a founding team to not compromise on the bar of talent that we hire. And this is this is going to sound like platitudes and, and lots of people talk about this, about hiring strong performance and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, all of this is good and well in theory, but in practice, what that meant is we needed to hire on the engineering team, people who are very strong technically, but also very entrepreneurial. They understand the business value of the features of the building. They're able to pivot very quickly. They're able to not treat their creations as precious and be able to throw things out that don't work, uh, regardless of the amount of time investments that, that they put in. And do all of that with a company that doesn't have a brand, doesn't have a lot of funding, in a category that many people still don't understand, is very, very, very difficult. And in practice, in order to do this, that just meant that me as a CTO had to do hundreds and hundreds of phone screens um, and then dozens and dozens of interviews following that to hire a single employee. So, to hire our early team, it took almost a year to hire six people. And we would definitely, we definitely felt a lot of pain as part of this process. Incredibly time consuming and incredibly discouraging, especially when, when people don't accept the offer in the 11th hour after many, many hours of interviews. And at times, you know, it, it, it really, 
made us reconsider, are we on the right path? And should we be putting this much effort into our early team? And as the years went on, those are the people that are still with us and, and have been with troops for five, six years at a time in, in some cases. And not compromising on this talent and really getting people who are really bought into the vision, really excited to build and learn alongside of you and make decisions for the long run. Those are the type of people who, who you really want on the early team. So now looking back and looking at all the progress that we made and all the amazing hires that those people were, um, were able to help us bring in after, this was worth it and I would do it again 10 times out of 10. So in terms of advice, my advice to, to entrepreneurs building, building in early teams is no matter how painful it is and no matter how crazy it might seem in the short term, be incredibly selective into finding people that are excited about your brand, excited about your mission and excited to, to learn alongside of you. Uh, no matter how long it takes and no matter how many false starts you're going to have on this journey. Because those are the people who are really going to pave the way to to the kind of future you want to have and to the type of growth you want to see. So let's talk about scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or were you fighting this as you grew? Because we were experimenting early on we definitely did not build in scalability out of the gates. Oftentimes we scrapped entire product lines. So investing in, in scalability early would have been just uh, a delay in time to market and delay in, you know, resources before we move on to something else. And as our product matured, this is definitely something that we had to tackle and we had to build a plan as we were flying it in, in many cases. Uh, and we, we definitely learned the hard way in terms of what areas we absolutely have to think about scalability out of the gate, which parts of the system, and which which parts we can, we can release an early version, not worry about scalability and fix it retroactively. In many cases, we were totally fine throwing hardware at the problem and going to Amazon and saying, hey, uh, it looks like performance is down, which is going to buy a bigger instance, which is going to buy us time to really examine uh, how we can scale more efficiently in the future and essentially bias, bias that time to make better decisions on the engineering front. Uh, and that was really helpful. I would say starting a company in the cloud age really allows you to, to have the safety net where you don't have to worry about scaling hardware up and down as you figure out efficiency and performance. Uh, you can always do a bump in the short term that's going to buy you some breathing room. You can go back to the drawing board and say, hey, are we doing something really inefficient? Do we actually need this level of hardware? Um, and sometimes the answer is going to be yes, and sometimes the answer is going to be no. And uh, not having to make those decisions in the moment and, and just being able to uh, to go into a console and you know press up and, and have another uh, another instance come up uh, is is incredibly 
powerful and, and, and it's hard to imagine that five, 10 years ago, this wasn't a capability that was available to, to people starting companies. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The thing that comes to mind every time I think about this question is, is absolutely the team and the types of people that we were able to surround ourselves with. I mentioned uh, when talking about our hiring process, we really poured a ton of time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears into hiring the types of people that are gonna be on the ride with us for, for the long haul. And also people who are able to uh, independently run with really good decision-making and, and deliver value to the company and to our customers completely independently. This has been critical in terms of building an early product. It's been critical in terms of our, our roadmap generation. It's been critical in terms of motivation for the rest of the team. Having people around that are all bought into the same mission, that are equally committed to what you're doing, like gonna roll with the punches and ride the highs and the lows. Those are the type of people that help you stay motivated as a founder, as well as help you push, push your company forward as you often navigate uncharted waters and, and turbulent times. And we particularly felt that during the pandemic. Pandemic has been really hard on, on many companies and, and many people in general. So it was really important to be surrounded by people who are empathetic, who are with you for the right reasons, who are passionate about the mission and who are there to lift you up when, uh, when the time is right and when you need it. So looking back and, and looking, looking at that company broadly, zooming out, the type of people that we were able to attract to troops over the years and help us build this product and company is, is absolutely uh, incredible. It's hard for me to take credit for this. Uh, every single person that joined after me was the type of person who helped us uh, attract the next, uh, the next wave of employees and not compromising on that and, and always keeping it in mind as we bring new people on board really allowed us to preserve a strong culture and, and really allowed us to persevere and, and get through many challenges over the years. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. There were lots, lots and lots of mistakes that were made over time. Uh, of course, we were experimenting and one thing that comes with the territory of experimentation is there are many things that you're going to get wrong. I would say the biggest, um, the biggest mistake that comes to mind is, is over-investing in large swings and big product bets and, and really moving away from this idea of MVP when we saw an inkling of success in, in a particular area. There was a specific time where uh, we came together as a product and engineering team and made a decision that we want to take a really large bet and invest into a product that's gonna take over a year to bring to market. 
we saw some data as well as some customer interviews that really told us that this is an exciting opportunity and, and customers will, will come to us. It was a collaborative product that allowed many people from, uh, from around the company to collaborate on a particular opportunity or a deal. And this idea of customer 360 has been really picking up in the industry and we saw a lot of potential. But despite our uh, MVP DNA, we thought that at our current stage and our current customer base and a level of maturity, we could take a big risk and really invest into something that, that we believed in and deliver a much more fully featured solution out of the gate. And uh, many of us were uncomfortable with this decision. And ultimately I felt like there was a lot of thinking around the table and, and there was a lot of excitement around doing this idea. And even though I had some reservations about the level of effort, it was best to disagree and commit and push forward and really double down on this, uh, on this big concept and idea. At the end of the day, it took entire engineering team offline for over 10 months to bring this product to market, to bring the first version of product to market. And then it took additional four or five months to polish this product further and to iterate on it and, and make changes. And ultimately, looking back at it a number of years later, this product resulted in you know, just a handful of customers coming to us and, and adopting it and, and making it a big part of their solution. So as a product as a whole, it was very incremental in terms of a growth. It was a huge uh, cost and time investment. And ultimately in the grand scheme of things, it was a, uh, a flop compared to many other products that we've shipped before and after. So this was a really tough pill to swallow because startups are resource constraints. And especially when you have the entire team working on this one particular swing for this amount of time, uh, you have to rally the troops. You have to get people excited around the mission and you have to tell them that this is, uh, this is the sort of idea they should really put their heads down and, and push forward with. And ultimately, Ultimately, when this becomes a flop, this is uh, this is a very hard pill to swallow. So yeah, when we, when we brought this product to market and and it flopped, this this was this was a time where I could either either lose all future credibility, uh, or I can take ownership of this mistake, come clean, uh, really acknowledge the fact that this was a a dangerous proposition that ended up uh, being a bad gamble and we paid for it with time and resources and we should learn from it. So this was a tough moment in the troops journey. It required a lot of strength and you know fears from me that my team is gonna lose confidence in me as a leader and as, in us as a company in terms of direction. Uh, but ultimately, it's best to come clean and, and acknowledge this and hope that uh, transparency and ownership is going to allow uh, people who expect to lead you to forgive you and, and give you another chance to, to course correct and learn from it. 
And ultimately, I would say a vast majority of the team were uh, were receptive to this, and you know, I'm very happy to report that this is something that has uh, stuck with me, has stuck with many people on the team, and again, re-solidified and reinvigorated this idea of always start small, always deliver a small nugget of value, always prove your hypothesis before you double down. Otherwise, you're going to end up in the same in the same situation, no matter how good of uh, a data set or how good of a customer testimonials you have up front. Well, what does the future look like for Troops, for the product and for the team? It's been a a really exciting year for us as a company. There's a lot of excitement in the ecosystem. Troop's original product really set in the cross-section of two systems, Salesforce and Slack. Uh, We really pioneered this notion that Slack and now Microsoft Teams are becoming the web browser for uh, the the modern workforce. And this is where people spend a ton of time doing work. And this is where they expect to interact with many of their uh, systems that they use day to day, SaaS systems, including CRM. As a result of, uh, of really beating this drum for half a decade, uh, this ecosystem has been getting a lot of attention. And uh, in many ways, that's culminated with Salesforce buying Slack or announcing that they, they're going to acquire Slack uh, at the end of last year. Has brought a lot of attention to what we're doing. Uh, by that time, our platform has already expanded to to have both Slack and Teams, as well as a dozen of different backend systems beyond Salesforce that we connect to. So the future of Troops is is really this platform, a platform that allows citizen developers to go in, automate the tasks that uh, they do manually today deliver those tasks in a place where people are already doing work, which is a messaging interface, um, and do it in, in smarter, faster ways in the future. So some of the things that we're excited about is connecting different systems, allowing, allowing users to have visibility into data about the same customer or record across a number of different systems and acting on that data as well as systems automatically updating data or creating uh, creating objects in, inside of uh, different systems automatically. For example, we can, um, if a ticket comes into Zendesk, we can automatically update a health score on a customer record in Salesforce. So those are the kinds of things that, that we're planning on our roadmap, uh, which are really, uh, kind of automate people's workflows further and hopefully make their day-to-day work lives more enjoyable and and let them focus on more creative parts of their day-to-day job. We'll switch to you, Greg. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person that you look up to and why. I think one um, motto that... um, I'm developing for myself in recent times is really moving away from worshiping individual people, especially uh, entrepreneurs and uh, celebrity entrepreneurs. 
So in many ways, I've really started shifting my focus to learning from groups of people and uh, diversity of opinions. So in recent times, uh, I've doubled down on, on spending time uh, with CTR peer groups and really learning from those people individually and having them challenge my opinion as well as opening my eyes to some concepts that could completely go against my instincts and, and my initial reaction. So one thing in terms of influence and in terms of charting the course forward for myself and my career, uh, I'm relying more and more uh, on others who are in, in similar companies and companies that are slightly further ahead as well as companies that are earlier to really learn about how they're uh, thinking about problem solving what keeps them, keeps them up at night, what trends they're seeing in the market, and really using that to influence my own decision-making and my own perspective. I found that to be a lot more valuable than, than getting excited about celebrities like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or um, some of the hero worshiping that we often see in, in the startup category. I like that you called it hero worshiping, and I think that's... That's accurate. <laughs> well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? I would say something that we really think about as a company and myself included is really how early to market we were with our idea and our product. Uh, when we built Troops, uh, initially we started with a uh, SMS-based communication. Next, we built a mobile, a native mobile app uh, that looked like Slack, uh, but specifically for automating sales process. And then when Slack opened up the App Store, we were one of the first apps that, um, that got shipped inside of Slack. So we were super, super early, and many of those platforms, including Slack, were still very early in terms of their maturity and their capabilities. I think looking back, some of the things that we think about are, hey, if we knew how long it would take for the market to mature, would we have started with a use case that just was more applicable and potentially a platform that's uh, a little more mature and eventually eventually would have pivoted to to some of those emerging platforms that are becoming defaults today. So one thing, uh, one thing that we would probably do differently is is take a hard look on um, at the maturity of the market and say, where is the immediate opportunity and where's the puck is going? And how can we split some of our resources to to make sure that we're delivering value immediately, but also um, keeping abreast of where the future is um, is evolving and and making sure that we're keeping pace. The last question, Greg. You're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? So my biggest advice is, is definitely go for it. Take risk. People are going to tell you no. People are going to make fun of your idea. Uh, don't let that stop you. Don't let that give you a pause. Keep going. The biggest thing that you can do 
especially early on in your career, is optimized for the speed of learning. It doesn't matter if it's a good idea. It doesn't matter if this is going to be the idea uh, that this is going to evolve into over the years. The most important thing is keep going, keep learning. Try to remove ego from the equation as much as possible. Try to ask questions and really optimize for for the fact that this is um, this is the best MBA you can get. Is try to start a company, learn from it, learn from your mistakes, surround yourself with great people, and keep iterating. This this may not be that uh, that idea that gets you to the finish line. But this is this kernel and nugget that's gonna get your energy up and get you excited and get you out of bed in the morning, and ultimately that's gonna lead you to good results in the future. That's great advice. Well, Greg, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of troops. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.